Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bccweb.com. Morning, church. Well, I don't usually do back-to-back, as you know, so I've had quite an interesting week, too. And um, I've had a really busy week, and yesterday was really my only day to put my thoughts on paper, although I'd been thinking all week. And um, I said, God, I really want to watch the cricket highlights. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't really sit down to it till the afternoon. Anyway, thankfully, the highlights were only 15 minutes. I think God arranged that just for me. <laughs> uh, and so I was, wasn't that fantastic. We've done so well in the cricket, it's great. It's really interesting because, you know, sometimes when we stand up here to teach, it's not because we've attained. It's because we're on a journey too. And this first half of the year has been incredibly stressful for me. In many, many ways, some of you know that I started a, a new job, well, within my organisation about three years ago with just eight people and me and now we're a team of about just over 80 in three years and um, sometimes I feel like the old woman who lived in a shoe (laughs) she she had so many children she didn't know what to do and there's just been problem after problem after problem after problem this week and when you've got a group of 80 people 98% of whom are female (laughs) man it's challenging It's really challenging, and I say that as a woman, you know. Sometimes we just need to flip and get a life. (laughs) (laughs) And and as a manager, it's really difficult to find a polite way of saying that. You know, but sometimes we women, man, we just moan about nothing. We moan about, you know, it's all attention-seeking, all about me, me, me. And... So it's been a really, really challenging week this week. But you know what? When I get into the Word, as much as I'm saying, God, bring something for the church, I'm saying, God, bring something for me. Bring something for me because I find it really, really difficult sometimes. And I, I know that where my gifts and my skills and my talents are, but that doesn't mean it's easy, an easy road all the time. And so God is good. So when we stand up here to bring something for you, it's because God is doing something in us. And I know Mark and Adam and Vlad and any others who teach will say that. You know, we're learning as much as as, uh, we're bringing to you. Um, So this morning, um, I want to talk to you about Rahab. Now, if you haven't been around for the last couple of weeks, you know we're in a series called Running with Endurance. And a couple of weeks ago, Mark set the scene for us in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 when he talked about this great cloud of witnesses. He talked about, um, about by faith. And these people are in Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 12 because of their faith. And it's quite interesting when you look at the range of people who are in that, in that chapter because sometimes you'd think, well, how on earth did they get there? But each one of them is there because of their faith. And last week I spoke to you about Enoch um, because he was known for somebody who pleased God. There's only about six verses in the whole Bible about Enoch and yet he's in that list of people, that great cloud of witnesses who were championing, and, uh, championing us on to keep going. They passed the baton on to us. And you know, we've got a responsibility to pass the baton on 
to others as we run this race, and we run this race with endurance. And so last week I spoke about Enoch. This week I want to speak to you about Rahab. And it's Rahab. Please, before you switch off, guys, this is not a women's message. This is a message from the ch to the church from a woman. This is about something about Rahab that has got something really, really important to teach the church. And I want to pull out some things from her today uh, to bring to us. Um, <clears throat> and we know that um, in Hebrews 11 it says this, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days, and by faith the harlot, or the prostitute, Rahab, did not perish with those who did not believe when she, ha uh, when she had received the spies with peace. I want to unpack Rahab to you this morning and there's two or three really important things, well three really important things that I want to bring out of this this morning but first of all um, <clears throat> I want to read the scriptures to you um, in Joshua where we read about what happened with Rahab and it says this. It says, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp um, at Acacia Grove and he instructed them scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River especially around Jericho so the two men sent out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night but someone told the king of Jericho some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land so the king of Jericho um, sent orders to Rahab bring out the men who came into your house for they uh, they have come to spy out the whole land Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but she didn't know where they were from. But I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. <clears throat> if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up onto the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gates of Jericho were shut. And before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up onto the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of it. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that you did what you did uh, to Shinon and Og, the two Amorite kings, east of the Jordan River. Those people were completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts are melted with fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and earth below. She wasn't even a believer yet, but she recognised, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. What, how? Because of what she'd heard and what she'd seen. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I've helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my mother and father and brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built on the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window, escaped to the countryside. <clears throat> um, she told them, hide there for three days for the men search, uh, 
from the men searching for you. And then when they have returned, you can go your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only for, um, sorry, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. And when we come to the land, we must leave this, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down and all the family members, your father, mother, brothers and all your relatives must be there inside the house. If you go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays, hand on, on, lays a hand on people inside the house, we will accept the responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we will not be bound by this oath. <clears throat> I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. The spies went up to the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but finally returned without success. Then the two spies came from the hill country across the Jordan and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. So before we just look at Rahab, I want to set the scene. What do we know about Jericho in this situation? Jericho was the most important and the most fortified city and stronghold the children of Israel faced. When they came across the Jordan, this is what they saw, Jericho. It was an important city, it was a fortified stronghold. And God was now saying to them, you're now in Canaan, I've given you this land, but you've got to learn to occupy it. So much of what God has given us, so much of what he died for on the cross, we haven't yet occupied. We're not walking in. And we're on a journey. And if we don't keep moving forward and occupying those things which God reveals to us and that God shows to us, then we're not walking by faith. Whether we're doing it corporately as a body or whether we're doing it individually, we've got to do both. God is speaking to us corporately as a church and moving us forward. But if you're going to come forward with us, then you've got to be walking corporately and occupying what God is showing you in your personal life. Jesus' death on the cross has accomplished so much more than we walk in, hasn't it? Yes. But we're not walking in it either because we don't know about it. People perish, my people perish for lack of knowledge, God says. Or because we know about it and we're not being obedient. We haven't got the faith to step out. You remember yesterday, last week, sorry, I said, faith is like just taking that leap into the dark, but knowing that where you land will be safe, even though you don't know where you stand. Faith is like that, taking a leap into the dark, not knowing where you'll land, but knowing you're going to land in a safe place because God is there. And there were times in this new land when they had to engage the enemy and fight. And there were times in Canaan when they just had to stand and watch God fight. And sometimes I think we don't know the difference. Sometimes we're too afraid to fight and we stand back. And sometimes we don't know when God is fighting for us. God does not always cause, call us to fight our own battles. God sometimes calls us to stand back and watch him fight our battles for us. And we need to have the faith to do that. And we need to know when the difference is. And Joshua sent two spies in to see what sort of city it was. And it says that Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel, none went out, because of the children of Israel, none went out and none came in. You see, the people of Jericho had barricaded themselves in because of fear. That's what fear does. Fear barricades you in. Fear paralyzes you. 
Fear causes you to pull up all your, all your defences and try and defend yourself. The biggest trick of the enemy is to make you fearful. He doesn't need to do anything else. If he can paralyse you with fear, then he's just got you where he wants you. The people of Jericho were paralysed by fear. They had seen what God had done. They had seen, um, they had heard how he had overcome. Now they see the children of Israel coming towards Jericho. And even though Jericho was a huge fortified city, they were paralysed by fear. They didn't know what to do, so they barricaded themselves in. And we're no different. We have to learn to overcome fear. Because fear will paralyse you. Fear will stop you in your tracks. And where there's fear, there is no faith. Because fear is the total opposite to faith. Faith is that we sung it this morning. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. That's not a fearful heart. That's a faithful heart. When we can absolutely stand abandoned before God, knowing that we're going to be safe in him, but not knowing what's going to happen. You cannot have fear and faith in the same circumstance. You cannot be double-minded. And these people were paralysed, paralysed by fear. If we're using fear, if fear is controlling our circumstances, we're not going to move on. If we are controlling them by fear, we are not going to move on. If we're using our own defence mechanisms, and we've all got them, We've all grown up in a fallen world where we've had to learn to defend ourselves. And if we're using our own defence mechanisms and not allowing God in, we can stand here with arms high but no heart abandoned. You know, don't think... I remember somebody came in here one day and said to me, this is some time ago, and said, um, oh, isn't it wonderful everybody in your church raises their hands? And I said, don't be fooled. Don't, just because you've got your hands raised, it doesn't mean your heart's abandoned. It just means you've got your hands raised. We can have our hands raised and be absolutely filled with fear and controlling our circumstances because of fear. And the people of Jericho had barricaded themselves in. They kept the gates shut, except for business, those who were coming in and going out. And the indigenous people in the land of Canaan worshipped many gods. And the chief gods that they worshipped were Baal and Astarte, which were the gods of fertility and the gods of agriculture and fertility. Those were the gods that they worshipped. And if you look back in scripture, you'll see that actually Canaan was cursed. If you look back at the story of Noah, and you remember his youngest son Ham saw his father naked when in a drunken state, and he told his two brothers, and his two brothers <coughs> came in backwards and covered their father with a, with a cover so that they wouldn't see his nakedness. And because of that, Noah cursed not Ham, but Ham's son, so Noah's grandson. And Noah's grandson was called Canaan. And Canaan actually became the ancestor of the vast majority of the clans of Canaan. If you read in Genesis 10, many of those clans, you can see the ancestral line back to Canaan. And, and Canaan was cursed. And what was it cursed with? If you read the curse of, that Noah put on Canaan, it was the curse of perpetual slavery. <coughs> perpetual slavery. If you are controlled by fear, you are in perpetual slavery. If you are controlled by fear, you're in perpetual slavery. Don't be fooled. You're a slave to that which controls you, the Bible says. And if we're controlled by fear in any area of our life, we're in slavery. We're, we might be actually living in the promised land, 
but we haven't actually um, occupied it. And that's one of the things that we need to do to be able to overcome fear. So Rahab lived in Jericho in a corrupt pagan culture that worshipped gods of agriculture and fertility and a group of people who lived in fear, in fact, slaves to the curse. And so I want to look at three lessons that we can learn from, from Rahab. And the first one is there's absolutely no, your background is no barrier to coming to know God. Your background is no barrier to coming to know God. And I've heard many people over the years, and I still do, oh, God wouldn't want me, God wouldn't accept me, I'm too bad, I'm not good enough. Actually, the root of that is pride. <laughs> None of us are good enough, but that's not a condition. That's not a condition for coming to God. The condition for coming to God is a heart that's surrendered. It's not a condition. And three times over, Rahab is referred to as a harlot, and the Hebrew word term zuna and the Greek word porne, which we get the word pornography from, is, and it means a woman who yields herself indiscriminately to every man approaching her. Now you could say that about anything that holds us in fear, that we indiscriminately um, <coughs> uh, yield ourselves to things that approach us. Why? Because we're trying to make ourselves better and we're trying to keep ourselves protected. Most of what we try to do is to protect ourselves instead of abandoning ourselves to God for his protection. And so evidently Rahab had a house on her own. She lived apart from her parents and her family and was no doubt socially ostracised because she was a prostitute. And even though she was a prostitute, she was incredibly astute. She was an incredibly astute woman and her house was built on the walls of Jericho and therefore she had a good view of all the comings and the goings of the city. She knew what was going on, she had an ear to the ground, she'd heard all these things and she might have been a prostitute but she was not stupid. All the things that she had heard had caused her to begin to turn to God. Thank you. <laughs> It's not the children, is it? It's the mobile phones. <coughs> and so this, there was this woman living on the wall, hearing what was going on, seeing what was going on. And even though that she was in a house of iniquity, behaving in a way that was ostracised by others, she was beginning to turn her heart. Her heart was beginning to be turned by what she saw and what she heard. She had this one asset. She heard from many people. <laughs> she mixed with many people. And she heard from many people and she knew that these were people to be feared and she made it her business to know. So when the two spies came, she was keen to welcome them in. And I honestly do not believe prostitution was on her mind. I really don't. She'd heard about God, she knew about God and she wanted to find out more and she invited these two men into her house. Rahab was a woman who, who was searching. And you know, you might be here this morning you might never have entered into a relationship with God and you might be searching. You might be in a relationship with God and you might be just still searching. In fact, we should always be searching, seeking and searching to find more out about God. But this was a woman who was searching. And though she was the enemy and though she was a foreigner and a woman and a prostitute, she wasn't afraid to speak up. She wasn't afraid to ask and to make her requests known. This was a woman who recognised that the God of the Israelites was an extraordinary God. 
And when the countrymen heard what God had done, um, when her countrymen heard what God had done, they were filled with fear. And when Rahab heard what God had done, she was also filled with fear, but not fear of man, fear of God. She was filled with wonder and awe. Who is this God? Who is this God is, who is so mighty and who does such mighty things? She was filled with fear of the Lord. She wasn't even yet a believer. What we would term a Christian. She was somebody who was searching. She was somebody who was um, beginning to get a sense of the fear of God. How many times do we... Um, turn away from people who we think might not be interested? How many times do we judge people by their character, by their work, by their status, by their home, by how they live? How many times do we judge people? You know, God has put something in the heart of all mankind to search for him. There's something in everybody's heart to search for him. And when we reach out to people, you know, we need to be able to see beyond God never looks on the outward appearance, thank goodness. God never looks on the outward appearance. He's always, always, always looking at the heart, the heart of each and every one. And this woman, fortunately, was of enough, had enough strength and character to actually speak up and to ask, but many people can't. Many people don't have that strength. People in society who are ostracised and who are who are thought of um, in a negative way in society. You know, I think about all these people that are coming into this country illegally, and I think, God, this is, isn't this an opportunity? Isn't this an opportunity? These people are coming our way, God. Okay, I understand the pressures on society. I understand the pressures on the NHS. I work in it. I understand the pressures on social services and in different parts of the country where these people are coming in. I understand all that. But these are hearts and souls. These are people that God cares about. And God is bringing them to our land. God is bringing them to our nation. Why? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. I saw something on the news yesterday about this man as he got off a boat. It was really bizarre. He's getting off a dinghy in Greece and there are people sunbathing on the beach. It's, it's really bizarre. And they're getting off this dinghy and the, this guy was interviewing them and he said, for the first time I'm alive. Now I've got a chance at life, he said. We have no idea what that's like. We have no idea what that's like. Now I've got a chance to live, he said. And there was a woman there, a Greek woman, and she was shouting and cursing, and she shouted at him and she said, why don't you go back to your own country and fight? We have no idea, do we? We have no idea until we walk a mile in someone else's shoes. But God is bringing all these people to our nation, and there's an opportunity for us to reach out to people and to help people. <laughs> I sent... Um, I was looking at, I, f I follow my nieces and nephews on Facebook because um, they're all around uh, on their travels. And s on Facebook, somebody had posted something, a picture of, um, uh, of um, um, immigrants getting back into a lorry. And the caption said, they've offloaded us in Croydon. Quick, get back in. <laughs> <laughs> And I, of course, I live in Croydon. <laughs> and I thought, yes, drop them off in Bromley. <laughs> uh, 
but you know, God is creating an opportunity. People are coming. People need to find God. People are searching for life, and they're searching for God. Um, <clears throat> so Rahab reminds us that it doesn't matter where we come from, where we've been, and what mistakes we've made, how we've sinned, whether we're successful, whether we're a failure, whether we've won or whether we've lost. It's not about whether the world or the church approve of us or admire us or respect us. What matters is the heart. It's the heart that matters. And when the king's men were, came looking for the spies, she hid them on the roof and she hid them under the flax. And what she probably didn't realise, and I love searching out these things, is that what she did symbolised an act of righteousness. It symbolised an act of righteousness. Do you know what flax is made into? Linen. And what is linen? What does it stand for in the Bible? The righteous acts of the saints, if you read in Revelation. So here was a woman, that to me speaks of her searching heart. She had flax on her roof. She was drying out her flax. Her flax would be made into linen. Linen speaks to us about righteousness and righteous acts. This speaks, this symbolises her searching heart. And she hid these men under the flax. And even though she didn't yet know God, she could see that people were filled with fear. And in many ways, Rahab depicts the church. Rahab depicts the church. The church per se, not our church, the church per se has got to come to a place where it fears God more than it fears man. Where we really do are able to abandon our hearts to God and to step out in faith and to know that even though we're stepping out in the dark, we're going to step into a safe place because of God. If what is happening in our nation, and it's going to cause problems, and it is causing problems, but for us it's an opportunity. For us, God is bringing people to our nation. And we need to be a church that can rise up in faith, that is more afraid of God and fearful of God in an all awesome way than we are fearful of man. There are people who want to put their trust in something. There are people arriving on our shores who've got nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I've seen it before when I lived in Zimbabwe and I lived on the Mozambique border. There were people coming across the river stark naked. They had nothing. Nothing. And they had made it across a, cro a crocodile-infested river, most of whom couldn't swim. Because people in landlocked countries generally don't learn to swim. And so people were coming across and <clears throat> they were coming across and they were coming to where I was working as a feed feeding station with nothing. You can have nothing less than your nakedness. And many of the people who are coming to our nation, that's what they're starting with. Literally what they stand up in. That's all they've got. God is creating an opportunity for us. Rahab teaches us that we conquer fear with fear. We conquer fear of man with fear of God. In other words, faith. We use faith to conquer fear. And in fact, Rahab is really recorded as the first Gentile convert. Rahab wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile. And God, this is the first depiction of us, for us, of God expanding his arm, as it were, from the Jews to the Gentiles. We learn, through, we learn enough <coughs> to reach the, con the correct, sorry, she had learned enough to reach that conclusion for the Lord our God, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above, 
and on the earth below. With your heart you believe, with your mouth you confess. You know, we sung this morning, that is such a good song to sing. Singing out your confession. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ his Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Three in one. I believe in the resurrection. I believe we will rise again. You know, we need to sing out our faith. We need to demonstrate. We need to let our own ears hear what we say we believe. That is what builds our faith. Faith comes by hearing. And you can hear out of your own mouth. When we sung that song this morning, it should have built our faith. You should have felt something rising up inside you as you declare what you believe. Unless you don't believe it and you're just singing it. You know, when we declare our faith in God, it should cause us to increase our faith. And she said, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above or on the earth below. It's with our heart we believe, it's with our mouth we confess. And even though she was the most, probably the most despised person in Jericho, she cared about her parents and her family. And she didn't just want to save herself, she wanted her parents and her family. God said, you will be saved and all of your household. How many of us, and I put this question, most of my family are not believers. Most of them, about 80% of them are not believers. How many of us are standing in the gap for our families? How many of us are really standing there on, before God on regular occasion for your brothers and your sisters and your aunts and your uncles, your mom and your dad? All these people you've got in your household who don't yet know him and who need to come in. Rahab was prepared not just to save herself. She wanted to save her family and all the relations that she had. It was really her change of heart and her faith coupled with her actions that saved her and her family. And she made a covenant with the spies, didn't she? And she said, I'll hang the scarlet thread on the window. Um, and so on the day that the city falls, you won't we won't be attacked, we will be saved. That scarlet thread symbolises a witness or a testimony of fear of God and her faith in God. Scarlet, we know, speaks of the blood of Christ. And she hung that from the moment the, scar the spies went. That very moment, she was convinced that, that God would save her and from that very moment, that scarlet thread hung outside that window, ready and waiting for her salvation and for that of her family. She hid the spies, she hung the thread. She thought she was making a deal with God, but actually God was making a deal with her that she hadn't yet realised. And if we look at what comes after Rahab, she became the mother of Boaz, and I think this is really interesting. This is really interesting too. Here we are. So Salmon, who she married, was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed, who was the mother of Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba. And you look at all those three women, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. None of them were Jews. They were Gentiles. And God was already beginning to show that he was going to enlarge the household of faith. And Bathsheba conceived through, um, th through um, adultery. Um, Rahab was a prostitute. And Ruth was a foreigner who actually came into the family, didn't she, through Naomi. These three women mentioned in the word of God, so far back in the Old Testament, to teach us something about how God was going to open up and enlarge his arm of faith and reaching out to people. These are the first 
This is the first evidence of Gentiles being added into the church, as it were. There's a beautiful illustration in Psalm 87 which says this, I will mention, this is God, I will mention, make mention of Rahab and Babylon as among them who know me. Isn't that incredible? God says because of Rahab's acts, because of what Rahab did, God has declared, I will make known to the whole world, I'm going to make mention of Rahab as one who knew me. Um, and this one was born in there, it says. Yea, of Zion it shall be said, this one and this one was born in her. The Most High himself will establish her. Jehovah will count them, uh, written them up, um, writing, sorry, writeth up the people. This one was born there. They will sing as well as they will, and they will dance, and they shall say, all of my fountains are in thee. This lost woman who was a prostitute, who through her curiosity and through her seeking and through her asking came to see and to know God and God said, I'm going to talk about you. I'm going to mention you. I'm going to say, you might have been in that situation, but you've been born into this situation now. You might have been in, that, in the mire and in the dirt and in the depths of despair, but you're in this life now and I'm going to tell everybody about it. And all your fountains are in me, says God. Everything you need, your supply, your nourishment, everything you need, says God, is going to be in, in, in me, found in me. So the first thing then is that it, our background is no hindrance to us coming to God. The second thing is... God wants us to be separated in this world. And <clears throat> Rahab is a fitting illustration of another miracle of divine grace and the calling forth of the church out of a godless world. God wants to call the church out of a godless world. Rahab was called out of Jericho and into the promised land. And, and God wants to call the church out of a godless world. Church, we've got to be separated. There's many, many examples of the way God is calling us into separation, but I want to just go to one illustration this morning, which you may or you may not have ever looked at, but something that's always been quite, quite deep in me from many, many, many years ago, from the days of George Forrester, mm -hmm. if those of you who remember George, which goes back into the 80s, when he was a minister here, and he, taught, he gave this incredible message one day on purity, sorry, purity precedes power. And I've never forgotten that. And it's something that's really grown in me. And I want to just bring you this illustration from, um, from Jeremiah uh, 15, 19. And it says this, Therefore, says the Lord, if you return, if, they, if thou return, then I will return to you. So God's saying, if you return to me, I'll return to you. And you'll stand before me. And if you will take forth the precious from the vial, then shall you be as my mouthpiece, is what God is saying. Um, if you return unto me, I will return unto you. In other words, you are to influence the world. The world is not to influence you. God is saying, if you come to me, I'll come to you. You take the step towards me, I'll take the step towards you. Why? Because I want you to be my mouthpiece. But you can't be my mouthpiece unless you're willing to separate the pressures from the vial. Unless you're willing to walk in a separated way so that actually you become the influence into the world. The world is not the one that influences you. We cannot be God's mouthpiece unless we are influencers. 
unless we are steeped in our faith so that we can be influencers. Rahab influenced her family. She influenced the whole genealogy of which we know came Christ. She was an influencer. This is the scripture is saying that we need to turn around. What does precious and vile mean? It means this. Precious means valuable, to be prized, costly, rare, or of reputation. And vile means worthless, loose, moral, uncontrolled, or reckless. If you want to be God's mouthpiece, you've got to know what in your life is worthless and reckless and what in your life is valuable. Do you know what in your life is valuable and do you know what in your life is worthless? Because God wants there to be a separation between the two. We need to know what God says is precious and we need to be able to separate it from what God says is worthless if we want to be God's mouthpiece. If we want to live a life on that level, we need to discern those things in our life that are valuable. We need to discern those things in our life that are worthless and we need to have the courage to change things. We need to have the courage to change things. If we're paralysed by fear, we won't change anything. All we'll do is pull up the shutters. If we can get to the place of arms high and heart abandoned, where we can take that step of faith and know that we're going to land in a safe place. We've got to have the courage to change things. And some of us are already thinking, I know there are some things in my life which are worthless to God, but actually I don't know how to change them. That has to be a decision, it has to be a choice. God wants us to be influences in the world. God doesn't want the world to influence us. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Isn't that what that's about? Being a Christian and walking with God is not for the faint-hearted. This is not just Sunday entertainment. If you really, really want to walk with God, then we have to be willing to make some changes and be serious about life. For it is those things, uh, for it's those things who value the, it's those, it's those of us who value the things that God values. It's for those of us who see more than what we see with our natural eye. The world seeks to dull our senses with pleasure. The world seeks to dull our senses with pleasure. I was just reading something in the paper the other day about um, people are becoming so full of technology these days that there are many skills that they can't do. People can't read maps, people can't knit, people can't do lots of... There was about a list of ten things. Interestingly, in my job, because most of the carers I, work, I employ work in the community, they all use sat-nav, and I've told them, and I've, t I've tried to teach them map-reading skills, and they phone me up and they say, um, I'm lost, uh, my sat-nav has taken me to the wrong place. And I say, well, where are you? And they say, I don't know. And I say, well, if you don't know, I don't know. <laughs> How can I possibly help you? Go to the nearest garage and buy a map. <laughs> you know, I will not use sat-nav because I don't want to lose my map reading skills. I've grown up learning how to read a map. I don't want everything to be automated for me at the push of a button. And then when it runs dry and the batteries run down or I drop it and break the glass, how am I going to find my way around? You know, that's a, actually that's just making me think, you know, that's a bit like life, isn't it? We just rely on things in life to move us around instead of taking the responsibility for actually taking control of our circumstances and not letting our circumstances control us. The world just seeks to dull our senses with pleasure, but we need to be able to see beyond that and not get sucked into th that way of thinking. We need to be able to discern the difference. 
We need to know what is just sucking us dry in the appetites of our flesh. Romans 13 says, make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh. The appetites of the flesh represent our human dedication to physical desires rather than spiritual desires. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things out there in the world to enjoy. Of course there are. And God has given us all things to enjoy. But it's the balance, isn't it? It's the balance of those things in our life. Are we seeking worldly things more than we're seeking um, spiritual things? Are we seeking worthless things more than we're seeking precious things, valuable things in God? So what are those things that are precious to God? And I'm just going to give you a few here. Psalm 79 says, the redemption of a soul is precious. The redemption of a soul. There is nothing more precious to God than the redemption of a soul. Thousands and thousands of people are dying to get into this country. Isn't that an opportunity? Isn't that an opportunity? God is bringing these people here. Nothing is more precious. Can you imagine what God is thinking when he's looking down and he's seeing all these people and everybody is crying, send them away, send them away, send them away. They're interrupting our comfort. They're interrupting our pleasure. They're interrupting. We won't have as much for ourselves if you send more people. Is that God? I don't think so. I don't think so. God is sending these people here and we're crying out as a nation, send them away. There's nothing more precious to God than the redemption of a soul. Isaiah says this. I think you guys need to help me. Would you just, because this is, thank you very much, that's great. Um, Therefore, saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. There is nothing more precious to God than the foundation on which we build. You know, for many, many years I've prayed, God, if I'm building anything in my life which is not built on the chief cornerstone, please will you bring it down? And I pray that about the church too. God, if we're building anything in the church that is not built on the chief cornerstone, please will you bring it down? We have to, there's nothing more precious to God than actually how we build our life that we build it on God, that God is our anchor. God has to be our anchor. God has to be our firm hold. God has to be our strong tower. God has to be the one who is the stake, if you like, in our life that holds us still. There is nothing more precious to God than what we build our life on. The next one, please, is in Samuel 3.1, and it says this, and as Child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days, as there was no open fish. The word of the Lord is precious. How precious is this to you? How precious is this to me? God says this is what's precious. This is what's precious to him. This is what's precious to you. This is what will navigate you through life. This is what will navigate you in your foundation in God. This is what will navigate you in everything that God wants you to do. How precious is this to you? Think on that. Meditate on that. Because God says this is precious. God says the salvation of a soul is precious. God says what you build on on your foundation is precious. And God says his word is precious to you. How precious is it in our daily activity? If we're going to be ambassadors, if we're going to be God's mouthpiece, we've got to say what he says. You can't be God's mouthpiece and say your own opinion. 
If we're ambassadors, ambassadors don't give their opinion. Ambassadors say what the country in which they're sent from says. They don't give their own opinion. Many of us give our own opinion about God. We're not ambassadors then. If we want to be God's mouthpiece, we've got to say what God says. And if we're going to say what God says, we've got to know what he says. And that's why this becomes so precious. The next one, please, is in Psalm 139. How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. There is nothing more precious than God's counsel. The counsel of God is precious. And God says in Revelation, you know, buy for me eye salve, eye ointment, so that you can see. You know, the counsel of God is precious. God wants us to go to him. Where do we go when we're in trouble? Do we pick up the phone to a friend? Do we turn to something else to dull our senses and to relieve our pain? God says his counsel is precious. And God wants to turn us to turn to him um, for counsel. Proverbs 12 and 27, please, says this, The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. The substance, that word substance, you could do it, um, click again, please, is determination. Determination means strength of mind, fortitude, grit and stickability, and diligence means careful, conscientious, precise and thorough. When I spoke to you a number of weeks ago and gave you those questions about and asked you, what are you good at? How would you, how would you sum up yourself? Did you put any of those as your strengths? Are you diligent? Are you determined? Are you conscientious? Are you careful? Are you thorough? God says that actually those things are what are precious to him. Those things are precious to him. Those, the substance that God has put in us, the diligence that God has put in us. You could spend a whole week talking about diligence. Diligence doesn't give up. Diligent pays attention to detail. Determination doesn't give up. Determination finds a way through. How many of us see those as precious assets? Did you list those among your assets? God says they're precious. God says they're precious assets. And all these things are a million miles away from our physical needs, aren't they? And things that we seek after, comforts and pleasures. And God says, what does God say we need to do about the flesh? Circumcise it. Cut it away. Cut it away. Stop seeking after things that are worth less and start seeking after things that are precious to God. He's called us to a separated life. Rahab came out of Jericho. Jericho was completely eradicated, so she couldn't go back. When we come out, God says, come out of that life that you're in. Behold, I make all things new. God's calling us out of the life that we once had into a new life and he wants to completely eradicate the old life. When the spies and the children of Israel went in, God said, eradicate everything. Eradicate everything. Kill everybody, all the animals, everything. And don't touch anything. Don't take anything from there. Why was he saying that? Because Achan did and Achan lost his life. Why is God saying that? He's saying because when you've turned around and you're walking towards me, don't turn back and start pulling a few things back into your life. God wants you to completely eradicate that. God wants us to turn around to make those choices that we're going to walk with him by faith, with those things that are precious to God in our life, so that we're not turning around, tempting to go back into the things that we had. God's calling us to be separated. Influence is a kingdom mandate. 
It's a kingdom mandate to be separated so that uh, we can, we can um, influence the world for God and bring in the kingdom of God. And lastly and very quickly, could you come back um, please, Shagan? Uh, faith must be outworked. You know, faith without works is dead. And the last scripture please. Um, so you see, you are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. Please don't sit here and tell me you've got faith when you're doing nothing with it. That is not faith. Faith without works is dead. There has to be evidence of our faith. There has to be evidence that we're taking that leap into the unknown, but knowing that we're going to land in a safe place. We're a buzzing up here. Um, and Rahab the prostitute is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions, not by her words. And when she hid the messengers and sent them safely away by a different road, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Releasing our faith to the promises of God. We're going to sing in a minute, and I've asked if we can just sing that second song again. So we can sing, really, God, I want to raise my hands, and I want to abandon my heart to you. Church, this morning, I want us just to think about what God is saying. I want us to think about perhaps a new surrender to God this morning. Um, Rahab had to do something with her faith. She hid those men. That was an outworking of her faith. We need to release our faith to the promises of God. We need to say, God, I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that because my faith is rooted in you, because you're my sure foundation, because you're my rock, because you're my deliverer, I know I can step out. And I know that you will see this through with me. People are saved by faith in Christ. It is by grace that you've been saved. It's not because of who we are. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of who he is that we've come in. And God wants us to separate ourselves unto him. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's the gift of God. Psalm 34 says, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered in shame. There's no shame for us. Church, this morning as we sing this song, let's just think and abandon ourselves afresh to God. Let's think about the places in our lives that are filled with fear. Let's think about how we want to move on in our walk in God. And if you want to pray at the end, if you want to talk to any of us, we'll be over there. But church, you know, as I always say, there was absolutely no point in hearing this today if it doesn't change your tomorrow. Every time we get before God and every time God reveals something, we need to allow it to penetrate our heart. We need to allow it. I'm different because I've preached this. I'm different because God has put something into me and you've heard it this morning. And whatever God has put into your heart, don't go out there and forget it. Go out there and just let it soak into you that God is calling us to be separated unto him. Amen. Amen.